Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Yeah, happy Father's Day to all you here in the room, all the dads in the house, also to all the dads online. So thankful for your investment in us and the difference that you make, not only in our lives personally, but collectively uh, as the church community as a whole. Uh, So grateful for you guys. Well, hey, uh, we're going to just jump right in. So if you would, why don't you stand to your feet with me? We're going to be looking at our theme verse for today, Hebrews uh, chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 3. Um, again, this was a theme verse of camp. We've been studying this passage for the past uh, couple weeks here at Central. And so if you're new with us, you're going to get kind of a flyby of what we've been discussing today. There's going to be some words that are in red on the screen. And if you would, read those out loud, really loud, really proud, like you mean it. I mean, the kids did such a great job, huh? We don't want to uh, let them show us up. We're going to bring that energy too. Here we go. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us the race marked out for us. Let us the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Well, Father, I just thank you today that you are a good father. And God, we're grateful for all the men in our lives and their investment. Uh, God, for those of us in the room that maybe didn't have a dad or, or was an absent dad, we thank you, Father, that you are our heavenly father and you are good. You are faithful. You're always present. You're always powerful. And you always are here for us. And we're grateful for that. So God, I pray today that you would speak to us, God, that you minister to each person here in this room. Speak to them at their point of need, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Well, today I want to talk to us about how do we run this race to win? It mentions that we're, we're, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that we're, we're running this race of life and we all want to run to win. We don't want to just go through life. We want to be victorious in life. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do we live life from this posture, like our kids just saying, with this ready, set, move mentality. Well, each day of camp, there were five big ideas and it, it kind of framed up for kids how they could live this victorious life, how they could live, run their race well. And it not just, doesn't just apply to kids, but it also applies to us. So we're going to unpack all five of those uh, today. The first one we're going to look at is this, believe who Jesus is. And that's a weighty statement. Believe who Jesus is. And on one hand, it's very simple. On the other hand, it's very complex. For all Christian, faith starts with an understanding and belief in who Jesus is, that he really wasn't just a prophet, he wasn't just a good teacher, he wasn't just a historical figure, but this, this conviction, this confidence that Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew sixteen thirteen says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples who the people say the Son of Man is. In other words, who, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elisha, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Verse 15, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And that's just a good question for you to wrestle with today. Who who do you say Jesus is? Not what have you heard about him? Not what your your family family of origin thing? Not what is the church community? What do you say? What do you say when you're asked about who Jesus is? 
Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So belief, this starting point of our relationship with God is just this, this fundamental understanding of of conviction around who Jesus is, believing who Jesus is. And so a good question is, well, why should you believe that? Why should, any, why should you watch it online? Why should those of us here in the room, why should we believe that? I would just give you five reasons. We could talk through a whole lot more. Five reasons why belief in Jesus makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, the first one there, if you're taking notes, the first fill in the blank is believe. Under that is the historical accounts. There's a lot of historical accounts that, that point to who Jesus is. There's obviously Christian historical accounts. Uh, probably the, the most thorough is the New Testament. Uh, and, and by the way, this New Testament, this Bible has been scrutinized by scholars and skeptics for centuries. But yet none of them can silence its claims, which is just interesting and maybe worth noting. It's also interesting to note that there's a lot of non-Christian accounts that speak to who Jesus is. People who don't even believe in that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. There's Jewish historian Josephus. Flavius Josephus was a Jewish historian from the first century, and he refers to Jesus' ministry, the miracles, the crucifixion, and Jesus' resurrection. Roman historian Tychicus in the first century and second century records about Jesus. The Roman letters to Pliny the Younger speaks to who Jesus was. In, this, the, 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 in the letters, it speaks like this, jaw-dropping audacity, like people really believe who Jesus is to the point that they're willing to like lay down their lives and die brutal deaths because of this belief. Greek historian Thelius accounts that the darkness, whenever uh, the gospels record that whenever Jesus was crucified, that there was this, this great darkness that covered the land. And Greek historian Thelius uh, documents that and verifies that. The Talmud has references from a Jewish perspective of who Jesus is from the very first century. So there's, there's great historical evidence, historical accounts that, that let us know who Jesus is. And I believe who, that Jesus is the, the son of God, but there's, there's evidence that points to that. Second is eyewitness accounts, eyewitness testimonies. Uh, there, there's eyewitness accounts, people that lived with Jesus. Uh, the Gospels, Matthew and John are two of his disciples that, that followed him. Mark was associated with Peter and Luke was the companion of Paul. And they, they share these eyewitness accounts. And, uh, and not only are they eyewitness accounts, because people can say all kinds of things, but, but these men who, who walked with Jesus, these men who did life with Jesus, they didn't just believe who he was. They didn't just share the story that was kind of make-believe, but they believed it so much that they were willing to die for it. They not only gave their lives to share the message of Jesus, they laid their lives down, sacrificial death because of their conviction, because of their, their, their testimony of who Jesus is. James, son of Zebedee, was the first apostle to be martyred. He was executed by Herod Agrippa I. He was killed in Jerusalem by the sword. Peter was crucified. He, he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. So Peter was crucified upside down by Emperor Nero. Philip preached in various regions and he was eventually arrested and crucified upside down as well. Andrew was crucified on an X in Rome. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was skinned alive before being beheaded. And so you just have to pause and just think, man, if these guys were just making up a story... 
If these guys were just, just coming up with something to create this new religion or something, have you ever skinned a fish? Like, just the thought of that just makes me cringe a little bit. He skinned alive and he never renounced his faith. He said, no, I stand by my testimony. It's true. Thomas, known as Thomas the Doubter, carried the gospel to India before being speared to death. Matthew ministered, carried the gospel all the way to Ethiopia before being killed by the sword. James, son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death in Jerusalem. Thaddeus, also known as Jude, was martyred. Simon the Zealot was sawed in half. Eyewitness accounts that this, even to the point of death, I know who Jesus is and I'm holding on to that conviction and you can take my life, but you'll never take away the truth that I know who Jesus is. Their eyewitnesses accounts speak to this conviction, this reality that Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a religious leader. No, like he's the Messiah. He's our rescuer. He's where hope is found. And Christian martyrdom isn't just a thing of the past. More Christians are martyred today for their faith than any other point in history. And why is that? I think it's important for us to know that Jesus has a very real enemy. And, and as you become a follower of Jesus, you become the enemy's enemy. And he still is out to steal, kill, and destroy, and destroy that which is most precious to God, and that is the children of God. According to the organization ACN, or Aid the Church in Need, the number of Christians suffering various forms of persecution today is 646 million people around the globe. We don't hear about that a whole lot in our society. Things that are, are, are unrighteous get protected and sheltered, while things that are trying to do good and be pure and honorable get executed in our society. The organization Open Door reports that at least 11 Christians are killed every single day. So today on Father's Day, not to be like this wet blanket, but while we celebrate, while we barbecue, while we eat bacon-wrapped hot dogs, brothers and sisters around the globe are suffering. And we're just a little bit oblivious to that because of our Christian context. We get to gather in this place every week and worship God to, to declare who he is, to, to lift our voices and worship, to open his word without fear of like someone busting in and, and taking us to be executed. But for many people, that's not the case. And so why would a disciple be willing to die? Why would Christians today be willing to be torn away from their families, to live life in isolation, to be, be, be torn away, live in, in solitude, many of them to be executed? Well, I think because they have this eyewitness conviction, like I know what Jesus has done in my life and nothing can change that. And I think it speaks to this reality of who Jesus is. So if you're wondering who he is, I mean, there's historical evidence for that. There's men and women throughout the ages that have had these genuine encounters with God that it's changed their lives. Not only that, but there's the miracles and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus performed many miracles, including healings and exorcism. He raised people from the dead. Like these are historical accounts like, like that aren't really refuted. Like normal dudes just don't do that. Not only that, but there's fulfilled prophecies. Old Testament contains numerous prophecies that were fulfilled by the life of Jesus. Um, Matthew highlights some of these. There's more Old Testament quotes in, than any other New Testament writer that uh, Matthew quotes more than any other uh, New Testament author. He, he quotes the Old Testament 68 times. 
And over and over again, he says, hey, here's what the Old Testament says. This is fulfilled in Jesus over and over and over again. A number of years ago, there was uh, an author, uh, a couple guys, Peter Stoner and Robert Newman, who wrote a book called Science Speaks. And in this book, they, they came up with this scientific formula to try to produce, like, what's the probability that Jesus fulfilled a portion of those Old Testament prophecies? And their findings were vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation. And here's what they set out to discover. What are the odds that one man in history could fulfill just eight, just eight? There's over 300 Old Testament prophecies, but what's the probability of one person just fulfilling eight of those? Now, these Old Testament prophecies were written like 500 years before Jesus was ever on earth. And, And here's what they found. The probability that Jesus of Nazareth could fulfill even eight such prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. And so... To help us understand that a little bit, it's one with 17 zeros behind it. Like that, just one chance in that number. And to help us understand like just the magnitude of that number, uh, a stoner, he, he documented that, that if you were to take a silver dollar, if you've seen a silver dollar before, they're not super big, but like, about like this. And, and you could, that number, one to the 17th power, could cover the entire state of Texas, that's how many it would be. And not just cover the entire state of Texas, it, the coins would be stacked two feet deep. And so imagine this. We drop you off at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And we say, hey, there's coins covering the entire state of Texas. If you've been to Texas, it's huge. You can drive and drive and drive and drive and never see the border of Texas. Like, it's a huge state. And so we're going to drop you off at Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, and, and say, hey, you walk as far as you want as long as you want, but you have one chance to pick up this coin that we've painted red and the coins are stacked two feet deep. Do you think you can do it? And they're saying that's the odds of one man by chance fulfilling just eight of those Old Testament prophecies. And again, there's over 300. All that to say, there's a whole lot of reason for us to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. So there's historical accounts, there's eyewitness testimony, there's miracles, the resurrection power, the fulfillment of prophecies, and finally impact and influence on our society. Like Jesus' impact and influence on our world today throughout centuries, throughout generations, it it cannot be quantified. The Bible is still the best-selling book in human history by far. Like the the second best-selling book doesn't even come close the transformative power of Jesus' teaching and, and positive effects on individuals and societies, undeniable of his divinity. The regions of our world with the lowest Christian populations are the regions of our world that are producing the highest levels of terrorism and destruction on a global scale. But the impact of Christianity is so vast. I mean, how do you, how do you quantify it? And I think just to narrow our focus for a little bit here, let's just focus on the United States. The impact of Christianity is is huge. In a book, uh, Jesus Skeptic, written by John Dickerson, he explores how Christianity not only spawned, but but perpetuated Western civilization. And in his book, he outlines some of the things that Christianity has contributed to society. And so he, he writes this in his book, Jesus Skeptic, that followers of Jesus are the ones who formed and founded the first universities and college systems. Christians created literacy through public education. Before then, it was only the wealthy that could get education, but Christians are like, no, no, education's for everyone. 
and they introduced the public education system as we know it. Followers of Jesus formed, uh, founded modern science. Christians began to fight for women's rights. Christians ended open slavery and continue to drive ra- racial reconciliation today. Christians continue to fight for justice in a variety of other areas as well. But to focus on just one of those, let's look at Christians in hospitals. Christians are the ones who originated the hospital system. Before this time, only the wealthy could receive a doctor. If you're sick, you'd have to have a doctor come to do a house visit, which was obviously very expensive. But Christians started hospitals. The oldest hospital in the United States was started by Christians. Pennsylvania Hospital was founded in 1751 by Quaker Christian Dr. Thomas Bond, and it still ranks number 14 in the nation today. New York Presbyterian Hospital was founded in 1771 by Episcopal Christian Samuel Bard, and it still ranks number 10 in our nation today. Massachusetts General Hospital was founded in 1811 by Reverend John Bartlett, and he's motivated because he just read the scriptures and is like so compelled for Jesus' love for the poor. He's like, we got to do something. And Massachusetts General Hospital is still ranked number four in our nation today. And so there's a whole lot of evidence beyond what we've talked about here of why you can believe in Jesus, why you can have confidence that Jesus is who he said he is. Eyewitness accounts, historical accounts, the miracles the resurrection of Jesus, the fulfilled prophecies, the impact of, of believers not only throughout history, but today making a difference. It's a beautiful thing. And so the starting point to the whole journey of, of faith is just believing who Jesus is. Second thing is to do what Jesus says. Do what Jesus says. Obedience optional Christianity really isn't Christianity at all. Because here's what Jesus said. He said, he said you've got to make me the Lord of your life. Like he wants to be the leader like the CEO, the one who gets to call the shots. And so like he is that or he's not, you know, it doesn't really matter what we say, our life models that. And so if we're gonna live a life, we're gonna run our race well, we gotta be people who actually don't just hear what Jesus says, but we actually do what Jesus says. Jesus said this in Luke six forty six. he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Like, why do you call me the boss and don't do what the boss says? He says, I'll show you what he's like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When the flood came and the torrent struck against the house, it could not shake it because it was well built. That's what people who who actually hear God's word and apply it to, that's what it's like. In contrast, he says, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like one who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. It's this image of, hey, we can, we can build our life on God's word. It's going to take a little bit of work. It's going to take some, some intentionality. We're going to have to lay a foundation. We're going to have to daily apply God's word to our lives. But then whenever storms come, you'll be good. The same storm can hit two different people in this room. Same storm, two very different responses all contingent on how you apply God's word to your life. Uh, my family, they live in uh, southwest Florida, and they, there was a hurricane there at Fort Myers, Hurricane Ian. And I uh, got some pictures from, from southwest Florida when we were there visiting. It's crazy, the devastation. So these are like, see the, the, the 
pillars there, they're stilt houses. So there's not really a foundation on rock. They're, they're, they're pillared up in case the water comes. Uh, but whenever the storm or the hurricane came, it was devastating. Here's another picture. This is like a, a trailer park. So they have a found, they're, they're on solid ground, but there's, they're not connected to that foundation. So when the hurricane comes, just, just swept them, swept them all away. So two very, same storm, two very different realities. Some people have their house built on this foundation. They, 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 they planned for it. They were structured for it. The, the community had infrastructure anticipating category five hurricanes. Other people did not. And here's what's true for all of us. Storms are going to come. Like it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And the way that we prepare for those storms, what Jesus says by daily, not just hearing his word, but actually applying it to our life day by day, moment by moment, saying yes to Jesus, doing what Jesus says. We all want to build our life on a foundation that will last. But whether we do or whether you don't is really up to you. Oh, it's a move that only you can make. If you want to do what Jesus says, well, that's a move that really only you can make. So third, uh, so we're going to believe who Jesus is. We're going to do what Jesus says. And third, we're going to love who Jesus loves. We're going to love who Jesus loves. Jesus loved everyone, which is a challenge for us to love like Jesus loved. Jesus elevated women and empowered them in a society that oppressed them. Jesus broke down racial barriers and stories like the Good Samaritan, where he, he highlights universality of love and, 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 and includence that is like it transcends what cultural boundaries were. Jesus' disciples, he had one disciple named Matthew, Matthew the tax collector. And Matthew the tax collector, he wasn't like an IRS agent, like we think of tax collector like that, uh, but it, which is bad enough. But it's much worse in that society, right? Uh, think of a tax collector in, in Jesus' culture more like um, a, a, a U.S. citizen who becomes like an informant for Al-Qaeda. And doesn't just inform Al-Qaeda of, of how they can attack the U.S., but actually funds the attack for the U.S. Like that's how Jewish people would have viewed tax collectors. Uh, so Jesus had that guy in the group, like part of the inner circle. At the same time, he had, he had this zealot, Simon the Zealot, which basically in our culture would be like he's a Navy SEAL with a purple heart who fights for the liberation of his country. And so you have this guy who's opposed to them, and you have this guy who's for them, but Jesus, embodying this life of love, is able to pull everyone together around a common goal, a common mission, and love everyone. Which sounds really beautiful, right? And like, we all want to love everyone, but it's really hard because people are stupid. <laughs> and like, it's just is. Like, people, we do dumb things, myself included. And so it's hard to love stupid people. It's hard to love people when they hurt you. It's hard to love people when they say they're they're hurting, but they take their hurt out on you for no reason. It's hard to love them in the midst of that. Here's what Jesus said, Luke 6, 27. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. How you doing with that? Scale of one to 10, uh, not real great, probably. I mean, speak well of those who cuss you. That's what we're called to do. Pray for those who mistreat you. By the way, sidebar, we we pray for those who mistreat us, not for them. You do it for you. 
The only way you take the barbs out of your flesh after people stab you in the back, pray for them. And you'll be amazed at the work that God does in your heart, in your mind. When you pray for people, ask God to bless them with everything that you want in your life. Not easy, high calling. But Jesus says, hey, if you want to love like I love, here's how we do that. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Loving everyone like Jesus is so countercultural. It's baffling and yet compelling. And Jesus says, when you love people the way that I loved you, a watching world's going to take notice. He doesn't say it's easy. He just says it's going to be worth it. And so let's love who Jesus loves. And that's a move that only you can make. Fourth, share what Jesus did. Share what Jesus did. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Listen, you're called to be his witness. And, and here's how I like to frame it up. If you think about a courtroom, there's different roles of people in, in a court setting. Uh, you have the prosecuting attorney and that's not your role. You have the defense attorney, and that's not your role. You have the judge, and that's not your role, but you have a witness. And what's the witness's role? The witness is simply his job, his, her job is simply to step on the stand and say, hey, here's what I've seen, here's what I've heard, here's what I've experienced, here's what I know to be true. And that's what you're called to do. Wherever you go, you share what you've seen, you share what Jesus told you, you share what Jesus has done in your life, you're his witnesses. And here's the beautiful thing about it, to take some pressure off. You're not going to be accountable for what you don't know. You're not going to be accountable for what you haven't seen, what you haven't heard, what you haven't experienced. You're only going to be accountable for what you have. And he says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses. And it's going to start right where you're at. He was talking to people in Jerusalem. Then he was talking to people, hey, when you go on summer vacation to Santa Cruz, you're going to be a witness there. When you go to Sonoma County, you're going to be a witness there. When you go to L.A., you're going to be a witness there. When you go to, to Texas, for whatever reason you would go there in the summer, I don't know. But if you go there, you're, you're going to go as a witness. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. Let's talk about it. Let's share it with our family. Psalm 78, 4 says this, We will not hide them from our children. We will teach the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and his wonders he has done. We talk about it. We're witnesses of what he has, has done. And this is not just the big things, the small things too. Like obviously God's done some big things. I know some of your stories, done big things in your life. Talk about those to your kids. Talk about that to your, your nephews, your nieces, your, your family, your neighbors, but also the small things. Um, we, we try to have family dinners where we sit down together at least three days a week. And every time we do, uh, I, I try to remind the kids like what you have before you is a tangible reminder that God provides for us. Like it's not just smoked chicken. It's a sign of provision, like God takes care of his kids and he's taking care of you. And so in the small things, whether it's sitting down for a meal or, or maybe you get a bonus check and it's awesome, whatever it is, like 
speak about what God's done. I want to show you something I found interesting when I was studying for this. Acts 1.8, again, says that you'll be my witnesses. Uh, if we jump to Hebrews chapter 12.1, this passage we've been studying, it says, therefore, uh, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, same word in the Greek, and previously, if we rewind back to Hebrews 11, remember it was this hall of fame of faith, these heroes of faith that have gone before us. It's Moses who forsook the, the, the prosperity and the prestige of, of Egypt to, be, to fulfill God's call in his life and live the life of, of poverty, really leading this group of people around the desert his whole life to take hold of the promised land, to fulfill God's purpose. And it goes on and on of these heroes of faith. And again, Hebrews eleven thirty six is kind of the summary of all of them. And he says, some of them faced jeers and floggings while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, not like in a good way. They're like put in chains, like not a crazy weakened stone. They, they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They were, went out in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And they're witnesses to us of how faithful God is, of how good God is, that in the midst of life's worst situations, you can remain anchored into him. And he'll have you not only in life, but he has you in death. He, they're, they're witnesses to that. And you're called to be a witness. That word witness in Greek is the Greek word martus. Uh, we get our English word martyr from this word. And Jesus says, you will be my martyrs. You will be my witnesses everywhere you go, testifying to what God's done in your life. So we're going to believe who Jesus is. We're going to do what Jesus says. We're going to love who Jesus loves. We're going to share what Jesus did. But all of those are moves that only you can make. And finally, here's the last one. Uh, go where Jesus leads. Go where Jesus leads. John 3.8 says this, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So we make plans, but ultimately God's going to, he's going to lead us. Psalm 37.23 says this, The Lord directs the steps of the godly, and he delights in the details of their lives. Like God He'll direct your steps, like let the Holy Spirit lead you. He, he delights in the details of your life, like things that you don't even care about, he cares about. He's involved in the details of your life. So ask God to lead you. Ask God today, God, would you give me some divine appointments so that I can be a witness for you, so I can tell people about what you've done in my life. God, I know you got an assignment for me. And oftentimes we have these interruptions where we, if you're like me, like a lot of type A people, we were planners. Like, I, I got this agenda. I got this on my calendar. It's not in my calendar. It's not happening. But there's interruptions that take place. And sometimes just because it's not in my calendar doesn't mean it's not on God's heart. And for me to come to this place, for us to come to this place, say, God, I make my plans, but whatever you have, I'm in, I'm on. I'm not going to see it as a distraction. I'm going to see it as a divine interruption. In the middle of those interruptions, in the middle of day-to-day -day conversations, here's my invitation. I think God's invitation to you. Just be asking, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to them? As you're on the patio eating a bacon-wrapped hot dog, God, what would you want to say to them? And as God pops something in your mind, have the courage to say it. Have the courage to encourage. Have the courage to be obedient to whatever that is. How do we run our race well? We're going to believe who Jesus is. 
We're going to do what Jesus says. We're going to love who Jesus loves. We're going to share what Jesus did. We're going to go wherever he leads. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. But only you can make that move. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you.